We're living in the age of the internet. It's such a part of life now that it can be hard to remember the World Wide Web only got started in the 1990s. Do you remember that sound as you dialed up the computer and having to wait to put the phone down before you could get online? Although it feels slow now, we could log on to pages all around the world and learn and connect with each other at incredible speeds. Then there was another revolution. Web 1.0 became Web 2.0. It was suddenly all about our interaction with the web, social media, and pages that responded to us. Now we're on the brink of another revolution. There's now talk of Web 3, a decentralized platform safe from the interference of tech giants. And then there's a word that has been plunged into the limelight just this year the metaverse. An immersive online 3D world we can enter to play, work or learn. These words are all used interchangeably at the moment and we've yet to collectively decide on what they all mean. Will the metaverse be a force for good or is it a buzzword that won't catch on? This episode, join me, Lucy Johnston, for a journey into the metaverse finding out how gaming could be key to its success and how it could change the face of entertainment. This is Future Lab, the podcast brought to you by Randox and the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Lovely to be here, Lucy. My name's Alistair, and I head up the London Innovation Lab for Epic Games. Epic Games are a gaming and software development company. Last year, they raised $1 billion of funding to help realise their vision of the metaverse. Alistair heads up their Innovation Lab in London, a hub where creatives can mingle and create. When I started off in the world of digital vision effects, everything took forever. I remember we'd literally be working on a shot or a sequence and the artists working on it would go walk around for five hours as they waited for something to render out and, and come back and see if it looked okay and then it tweak it and go away for another five hours. So it was a very, very slow process. Over his career, Alistair has seen the digital effects industry radically improve. I mean, we used to call it special effects. It's not special at all anymore. Everyone does it. So it's it's just part of the mainstream. The norm. <laughs> the norm, yeah. He soon encountered the world of visual effects in gaming. I was so utterly convinced that uh, real-time technology and game engines were going to be the future um, of the whole VFX industry that um, I, not long after, made the move over to Epic. And that's where I've been subsequently and, and running the innovation lab here in London. Unlike a film, where you have full control of a single image that's the same every time you watch it, a game needs to be constantly able to change in real time, depending on what you make your character do or where you choose to look. The differences there were that a game engine had to be live, so you had to be able to impact the imagery in immediacy because you're playing it, you're, you're deciding what what your character does or where you're looking or what you're doing. But of course, the graphics relative to the sort of stuff that you're seeing in the movies were being produced using this massive lumbering heavy tech. But game engine technology has just really developed massively. 
Over the last 25 years, the change in those graphics has been incredible. From little angular cube people jerking around, to the smooth, nearly photorealistic images of today. Once upon a time, not so long ago, it just wasn't possible for the imagery that you'd get from a, from a game and a game engine to be anywhere near the quality and level of what you would see in film and high-end television. Now, it's completely comparable, and actually you're seeing game engine technology really permeate the media and content creation world and becoming an integral part of all the effects that you're seeing. Epic have their own game engine called Unreal. If you play games, you've almost certainly used it because the creators released it into the world for anyone to use. You only pay a very small percentage of royalties if your game is a success and you make over a million dollars in profit from it. So that enables anybody really in the gaming space to use the technology for free until it makes a profit. And then once you're making a profit, you don't mind giving a little bit back. It's a sort of good karma uh, model, really. Can you give us a quick couple of examples of projects that have been built on Unreal? Oh, gosh. I mean, if you were to look at um, the to the AAA gaming market now and look at the lists on, on uh, Xbox and PlayStation, close to 50% of the titles on there will be built using the Unreal game engine. But the Unreal engine isn't just used in games. It's now become very much a fixture of most industries that I can think of. If you're an architect, you're very likely to have come across the Unreal Engine being used to you know, digital twin cities or, or look at flats that you might want to buy. Same for automotive. We all, when we spend on a car, want to know what that car is going to look like in a, in a digital form and you configure it. And those configurators, an awful lot of them are built using the game engine. A lot of the stuff that you see in, in the high-end episodic world and in the feature film world now, a lot of the graphics and visual effects are beginning to be created using the game engine. That's an amazing use of it too. In broadcast television, you'll see if you watch Strictly Come Dancing or something like that, every time you see an augmented studio and the studio looks amazing, you've got all these graphics and things happening. That's all being done in the engine too. Wow, I really didn't appreciate the, the span of this. That's incredible. Yes, very expansive. These game engines are extremely powerful and adaptable to real-time interactions. So why not make them the basis of the metaverse? It's the advance of game engine technology, really, that makes all of this possible. The next version of the internet is going to be dimensionalized. And we've all lived in an era where it's been very much a sort of flat screen environment and flat imagery or text that we've been focused on. But if I look at my kids' generation now, they're very used to, I mean, they've been gaming since I was a boy, but that particular generation that's coming through now where perhaps we would have sat and searched on the internet and looked at stuff and read things and watched video clips. They're playing in three-dimensional spaces and they're hanging out with their pals in those spaces. But the next generation of internet will take that further because it will, the technology will just improve and expand. Uh, and as I say, you'll get this, this sense of a dimensionalization of it all. And everything will be underpinned by game engine technology because you need you need the technology to create three-dimensional images to allow for that to happen. You might be imagining a Ready Player One scenario where you put your headset on and you're totally immersed. And it could be. 
Innovation in haptic suits means you can feel as though you're actually touching things. But the metaverse doesn't need to be that complicated or expensive. People get slightly caught up in sci-fi, but sci-fi is there to give us a sense of what's to come and to warn us of things that we need to watch out for in how we build it as well. People often think, oh, well, do I need to wear a headset or put a suit on or all these things that you've seen in Ready Player One or Red in Snow Crash or whatever. But it, it, it's no, it's not really at this stage. It's not so much about that. It's about being able to jump into a, a space, an Internet from any device, whether it's a, a laptop, a screen, a mobile a, or a headset or any of these things and, and be able to fluidly move around and interact with an environment or with characters in that environment and to go into these spaces to interplay with others and, and hang out basically and do things and play and, and learn and do all sorts of other stuff so but it's just it doesn't matter whether it's a, as I say you're looking at it from a 3D headset or whether you're looking at it from a normal screen. An example of how the metaverse might look can be seen in one of Epic's own games Fortnite. Fortnite began as a battle royale game. You fall onto an island full of weapons alongside 99 other players on the internet and try and survive as long as possible. But it's now become so much more than that. But I think we quickly understood that a huge part of the success of, of the Fortnite world was the world itself. It had its own feel, identity, characters, space. And an awful lot of people, again, will go into that game and find themselves just being with friends, doing stupid things, you know. I mean, all the different sort of playful things that have been in every chapter and season of Fortnite have been incredible. You could fire your mate out of a cannon or push them around in a shopping trolley or, <laughs> or fly up in the air on the back of a chicken or be in a hamster ball or, or you know, see your favourite stars from the real world as well because there's wonderful interstellar action with... IP and characters from the real world. It's just a great, expansive fantasy. But the most important thing is when you're in hangout mode with your mates, you're in a small group, usually you're going somewhere, you're experiencing something, you're having fun, you're reacting to things together, you're choosing where to go. And that's a very social experience. And I think that's what people probably need to understand about gaming and where gaming's at and where it's going, where the metaverse will probably go, is it's, it's going to be much more social. Whereas... Social media, funnily enough, is, is quite antisocial in terms of how you actually do it a lot of the time. It's usually faceless, voiceless, and you're sat behind a screen and a lot of people do it on their own. And it's, it's not very natural in terms of the interactions you have with people. I'm fascinated by the, this emerging kind of area of live events being hosted in platforms such as Fortnite. I mean, you've got obviously millions and millions of players, many of whom can come together in the same games, many of whom come together in the same events at the same time. So they're sharing that sort of zeitgeist moment that you want to share if you go to a real concert or a real live event in the physical world. It can be done exactly the same way and have that of the moment sensibility about it in the virtual world. Yeah, Fortnite's obviously been a great trailblazer for that. Fortnite has already hosted several concerts, including one from Ariana Grande. And these aren't your standard concerts. In the metaverse, anything is creatively possible. The most important thing to retain is the authenticity of the artist or the person who's trying to reach the audience. But in terms of the boundaries of physical reality, you can do anything. I mean, you can, you know, you'll have 
the equivalent of characters or artists that in the real world on a stage would be tiny, but in the virtual world can be 800 metres tall and talking to you as an individual and walking around fantastic landscapes and amazing worlds and, and you get caught up in that and you're there with your buddies and seeing it all again live like everybody else and, and having your own individual version and your own individual memory of that particular event. This is not the only way the metaverse could change how we experience music. After the break, how Radiohead have set the stage for future possibilities in the metaverse. The Future Lab podcast is brought to you by Randox. Randox Laboratories developed a tiny ceramic microchip known as the biochip, which allows for the testing of multiple diseases at one time. One test that has been recently developed by the Randox team aims to improve detection of prostate cancer. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer amongst men in the UK, with over 50,000 new cases diagnosed each year, equating to one in six men. Some symptoms of prostate cancer include frequent urination, especially at night, erectile dysfunction, and blood in the urine. But these symptoms are not always a useful indicator of cancer, as they're also present in benign conditions of the prostate, such as prostate enlargement, which becomes more common with age. Current methods to diagnose prostate cancer includes the measurement of prostate-specific antigen, or PSA, and digital rectal exams. These tests lack the sensitivity to definitively detect prostate cancer, but a raised level of PSA may be enough to send a patient for a biopsy. Another issue with current prostate cancer investigations is that there are two kinds of cases, slow-growing and aggressive. Sending all individuals with high level of PSA for biopsies results in overdiagnosis, creating anxiety and unnecessary treatment. Randox recognised a need for better screening to reduce the number of unnecessary biopsies and make sure individuals with the highest risk of prostate cancer are examined earlier. We'll hear more about the test Randox has for prostate cancer in a little while. But now, back to the Future Lab podcast. We just heard about how gaming engines can underpin the next generation of the internet. Now we're joined by one of the creatives who was let loose on Epic's Unreal Engine, giving us a bold glimpse of how entertainment experiences could work in the metaverse. I'm like sort of like the creative mad scientist. I've been making stuff my entire life. The last 15 years, I've worked a lot with um, one of the founders of Pink Floyd, Roger Waters. I've made four tours with him. This is Sean Evans. Sean's always been interested in both the arts and technology. When I went to art school, I, I, went, I did go to art school in, in New York City. There was no computer lab. I helped, literally helped build the first computer lab. It's just always been a fascination of mine as well, computers and tech. Sean began his career creating album jackets at Sony, but soon branched out into directing and producing music videos and designing live shows. All of what I've done is based in music. I mean, it's it's either music videos or shows or music films. I mean, I'm very fortunate in working with um, someone like Roger Waters, who is known for these epic performances. And I've learned a lot from him. 
that thing about taking a space that be it an arena that's meant for 14,000 people and making it feel small, you know, like really like bending that space for people or making a show that makes everyone feel included. Sean also worked with Radiohead on some smaller bits and pieces, but a couple of years ago, they wanted to work on an exhibition together. They had got in touch with me originally because they were talking about doing like a physical exhibition, like a like a like an actual show, but obviously the pandemic happened. After the pandemic hit, live events were suddenly impossible. So they needed a new plan. We kept talking about just doing a virtual idea and we were looking at all these um, different paths for doing it. And at some point, Nigel just said, like, I wish one of us knew Unreal. I wish we could just like, and I was like, all right, fine. And just started like, downloaded it and just started (laughs) making stuff, (laughs) because why not? He decided this software could really help him create his vision. So he got a bigger team together to build something entirely new. We wouldn't have been able to to do it without the help of the developers that we teamed up with. There's a couple of levels to Unreal, right? Like if you just want to make some cinematics and you don't care about playability or performance, you can sort of just have at it and hack your way through. If you're going to render it out at the end, whatever. But like if you need people to like be in there and to play it on who knows what kind of computer and to worry about like falling through floors and level streaming and all of this stuff that I've learned since, that is a whole different level of engineering. And on top of the curating, on top of the visual, on top of the storytelling, like you have to have all this backend stuff that you can deal with. I mean, honestly, I don't think that we should have been able to do what we did as quick as we did it. The team of people that was working on it was something in the, in the realm of 50 people that worked on it for like a good nine months. Through the years, music has often pushed the boundaries of technology to change the listening experience. Monty Python added a second groove to a side of a vinyl, so sometimes people would chance on a secret third side. The Flaming Lips released their eighth studio album on four CDs that had to be played at the same time to get the full experience. Even this year, ABBA are appearing in avatar form for a revolutionary style of concert. So it makes sense music is one of the first industries to experiment with the creative possibilities of the metaverse. But how do you go about designing something in a virtual world? I mean, the the similarities are remarkable, you know, like you like you block it out. I mean, of course, there's the bit where you can like throw physics and gravity and reality out the window. But like the actual the building the similarities between building a physical thing and a, and, a, and a virtual thing are very similar. They built and released the Kid Amnesia exhibition that people could download for free on PlayStation or computer. It's somewhere between a game and an exhibition where you control the perspective of a character wandering through mysterious halls and rooms, listening to Radiohead's music as you go. Bending spaces and perspective, it feels really atmospheric and has incredible attention to detail. It was meant to be a celebration of the music and the artwork that was generated during this creative period for Radiohead during Kid A and Amnesiac, which was a, a very productive point in time for them. And this this experience was meant to be sort of like visiting a destroyed alien world that was sort of diving into the artwork, but also like a museum of the artwork. And, you know, it's sort of um, 
an eating itself experience. Like you're looking at the artwork, but you're in the artwork and you're listening to the music and you're changing the music as you're walking. Gravity goes away and comes back and you can kind of walk around in any direction. That was our goal was to make a sort of turn a museum experience on its side. And Now that you've created that and as you say, you've experienced being able to cheat gravity and do things that health and safety may not usually allow you to do. Will you transfer that back into the real world? It is funny going back into making a show and being sort of constrained to gravity. <laughs> and Like if you want to make something 400 feet wide and unreal, you just make it. Granted, you might have some environment artists shaking their fists at you that they have to deck the whole thing, but you can do it. I very, very, very much enjoy making stuff inside of Unreal where you can sort of just go berserk and make anything. It's, it's pretty amazing. The Kid Amnesia exhibition is potentially at the vanguard of a new raft of experiences we'll be able to have in the metaverse. And this could take creativity to some exciting, strange new places. I love it. I, like, I've seen some stuff in in the Oculus that has blown my mind. Like there was one, there's an artist who goes by the moniker of Flesh Dozer. She had done this, an exhibition, but it is absolutely insane. It's like the most psychedelic thing that I've seen. I mean, you know, I look at all this stuff. Like I see, cause I'm interested in it. I'm interested in when people do things that are not video games that are like really sort of like perverting the technology and they did it. And like that thing of like being in there and like having it like, absorb you is pretty incredible. Sean thinks the metaverse could have some real benefits in bringing experiences to people who can't travel easily and in reducing the carbon footprint of entertainment. One of the big things about the physical touring industry is like how to make it environmentally friendly. And as it turns out, there is no way to make it environmentally friendly. Like it is just, it is savage to the environment and not because of the tour necessarily, the whole idea of it is that you were asking 18,000 people to get into their cars and drive to this place. And that's like devastating. So something like, like these virtual things, yeah, it's not the same as being in the room with the artist. Like nothing will replace like being in a room. But I mean, this is a solution. You know, it is something that is, I'm sure can be developed. And it's pretty exciting. I mean, that side of it is pretty cool. The fact that it's this thing that could be going on on the other side of the world and you could attend yeah, with millions of people, like a different kind of buzz. Yeah, I mean, it does start to make going to an arena show feel pretty old school. <laughs> it does make that feel like a, a quaint idea, you know? But like any technology, it could be done well or be abused. I like trees. I like dirt. That whole that idea of like really literally shuttering off your eyes to reality is a bit scary. I mean, I, I've seen too many like dystopian movies. The the problem that needs to be overcome is that difficulty when people are avatared, be it in social media or in a video game, that their like morals just go out the window and they think that they have this anonymous cloak and they can say and do whatever they want. So how do we make the metaverse a space where creativity can flourish and that doesn't become an advert-infested hellscape? The less shackled to reality that you can be, the better. Like, to try to, like, recreate what we see while we're walking around, why? Like, we can see that walking around. Like, make something that is, like, just out there and 
something that you could not do in reality. Like that's what it's about, right? I mean, I suppose the other thing is like being able to teleport yourself across the world is pretty fantastic. But this thing that you see now of like, I've only seen like little bits of it, but like people buying up parcels of real estate in the metaverse, it's terrifying to me. That's like, no, that's what's wrong with the world. Let's not do that. Let's do the opposite of that. Like, can we not do that? Like we already do that. Let's do something else. Let's let's make something else. Let's do something else. Rather than a mirror image, actually deliberately do something different. Because there's no gravity. There's no gravity. The physics are meaningless. <laughs> Future Lab is brought to you by Randox. Prostate cancer is one of the most common cancers amongst men in the UK. Some cases of prostate cancer are slow-growing and do not require medical intervention, while others are much more aggressive and are likely to spread to other parts of the body. Randox identified a panel of inflammatory biomarkers that improves the organization of patients into low-risk and high-risk groups. Chronic inflammation shows itself in many cancers, including prostate cancer, so changes to inflammatory marker levels in the blood can signify underlying disease. Randox found that measurement of these markers in combination with PSA and clinical factors can significantly improve cancer detection and identification of high-risk patients. The prostate cancer test is important for men presenting with symptoms associated with prostate problems and can help identify those individuals with highest risk of cancer. These patients can then be prioritized for treatment and sent for urgent referral, thus improving prostate cancer diagnoses in the UK. Don't ignore the signs. To learn more about the Randox Prostate Cancer Panel Test, go to www.randoxhealth.com. There are lots of questions about how the metaverse will work. Who gets to own this space? And will there be rules? Back to Alistair. There's obviously very much governance in terms of guidelines of what what you can or can't do within that space and that's very important i think to us and should be to everybody moving forwards that you need to protect children and everyone else in this space and make sure that you moderate and, and do all the things you would do in we've been doing for many many years in terms of working out who should see what type of movie if it's a certain type of age group and all that sort of stuff given facebook's recent name change to meta it's clear tech companies are scrambling to get their fingers in the metaverse pie. So some people are sceptical of how much the metaverse can really bring them, given a lot of issues in Silicon Valley with fake news, habitual use and data privacy. And I think the gaming community in general uh, is not akin to the world of monetizing eyeballs and all that sort of stuff, which we've all been subjected to, really, for the last 20 years or so, of, of OK, let's capture data and then send people things that they probably don't necessarily want to see, um, even though an algorithm thinks they might. That's not the way of gaming. If, you, if you're in the gaming world, you're in it because you... You want to be in it, you're hanging out, you're doing what you want to do. You don't want to be distracted by things that are being sort of foisted on you. It just doesn't work. Brands obviously now want to enter this metaverse and understand that they can play in this space, and they can, and they can create their own little brandiverses and sort of scenarios to talk about themselves and present themselves in really interesting ways. But I think what they mustn't do 
and they won't be able to do is batter people with things that they don't want to see or hear, it, unless it's an experience or something that is meaningful or brings some some sort of interest to somebody, you're just not going to go and check it out or do it. And it's it's not that different to real life. If you're wandering around in real life, you choose where you go, what you see, and what you go to. That takes brands back to being in the more of an entertainment space, which I think is really interesting. Because brands back in the, the 90s and, and probably 80s as well were very good at, at um, engaging with people by being entertaining. My point is brands can't be advertising in any kind of way that irritates in, in this new space. They have to actually provide experiences and ways to engage that make much more sense to the consumer and the audience that they're related to. But no single entity owns the metaverse, at least not yet. And it's still an open question of what it can look like and how we develop and look after it. Look, I think the future's always a mix of excitement and a little bit daunting. But I think the excitement is, well, this is the point where you can have an input and steer it and... You have to look at it and go back to the original premise of the internet. The internet was a democratised platform to allow everybody to mix and mingle and break down barriers. And this is going to be no different. It's just going to be in a three-dimensionalised space. And uh, the power that's there to educate, to socialise, to, again, break down boundaries and create new ways of meeting people, doing things and interacting is, is very powerful but uh, it has to be done in a responsible way and has to be done, you know, with a view to making it as additive and as, as uh, powerful and as for the good as possible. We're in a time when nothing is decided. The shape of the metaverse and who ultimately controls it, whether the one we use is democratised or owned by a corporation. So can we learn from the previous iterations of the internet and make something that has benefits without the drawbacks? It remains to be seen, but either way, we're on the precipice of something big. Thanks very much to Alistair Thompson from Epic Games and to Sean Evans. And do check out the Kid Amnesia exhibition if you get the chance. There are still some tickets to this year's Goodwood Festival of Speed from the 23rd to the 26th of June home of the Future Lab live exhibition. Tickets are available online, so check out goodwood.com if you can make it. I'm Lucy Johnston, and this was Future Lab, brought to you by Randox and the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Do follow, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and thank you very much for listening. 